Education happens at home, in the classroom, and it's what our society teaches us. How can we change at the basic levels to tackle the problem of systemic racism? What can our schools do better? What can our parents do better? How can we all be better? Welcome to Life is a Game of Inches. Episode two with Dorian Jackson and my co-host, Lindsay Tuiofu. Lindsay, I got it right this time around. Last time I think I blundered it. I I mean, I nailed (laughs) this. You know what? I've been practicing for several weeks. Lindsay, how have you been, my friend? I have been so good. I'm so excited to dive into our podcast this week, Um, but I have been winding down for the summer, prepping for the school year. I committed to do homeschool, so (laughs) excited to see what that has to bring for me. You know what? We, uh, we've, we've been jamming for a few weeks now. I, uh, as you know, uh, been recovering from, uh, knee surgery, uh, but I'm feeling much better. You're in a great place. I'm in a great place. And, uh, hopefully all of our listeners will be in a good place when they get a chance to dial back in. I know it's been a few weeks since everyone had a chance to listen to our first podcast. And I tell you what, Lindsay and I are super excited. Um, you know, the last podcast that we had was pretty light. Uh, but we hope you had a chance to get to know us a little, uh, sort of understand our perspective. And remember, our, our goal is, Lindsay, Lindsay and I spoke about it, our goal was to bring some tools to help make your life a little bit better and to help you become a better person. It doesn't matter what age you are, right? You could be in your teens, in your early 20s, 30s, 40s, or like me in my 50s and uh, and climbing. But at the end of the day, um, we really want to put you in a position where the things that we talk about can help you become better. You know what, Lindsay, what's crazy, though, is this episode here, you would have thought we would have taken on a little bit simpler of a topic. <laughs> we we li- we didn't climb a small mountain. We literally went from Mount Everest. I mean, this is a huge topic we're going to talk about today. It's so true. You know, I was a little uh, a little nervous going into this because it's a very controversial topic. Um, but I know as we started jamming over the last few weeks on this topic, I really, really loved your perspective um, and really felt like the value that you brought to me in our sessions were so powerful. So I'm really excited to share all our nuggets off our our podcast and, and kind of bring some of that into our podcast. will be so great for our listeners. So let's let's unveil this topic, systemic racism. I mean, that's, that's huge. I mean, it's, it's one thing for you to turn on the TV and see it. It's one thing to be, you moving around society and to hear about it. It's another to go, oh boy, life is a game of inches. It's talking about systemic racism. Listen, why is this an important conversation now? Why on this podcast? Why us? You know what? The reason it's us is because one, I'm biracial. Lindsay's biracial. We've seen things through a different set of eyes, and and we want our listeners to be able to to hear our experiences because they're they're different, but also to hear some thoughts and ideas on how we can become better. Listen, at some point in time, you've probably heard someone make this statement: "I'm not a racist." You've probably heard someone say, "Listen, you don't need to lecture me on racism, Lizzie." I'm sure you've heard that. <laughs> I'm sitting here laughing because I actually hear that all the time, even being in Utah now. (laughs) And, you know, again, people don't want to be lectured. Um, We're we're certainly not going to spend time with you for the time we have you ranting about the problems in our society. What we are going to do is talk about the challenges and struggles that people go through and offer up some solutions. I mean, listen, it it is a huge topic. and, And my goal and Lindsay's goal is to hit a home run with this topic, no question. But you know, we, we we also know we could spend hours and hours and hours talking about this particular topic. And again, we could devote an entire series to this topic. But what, what's important to us is that we spend time dissecting it and breaking it down to a couple of different sort of nuggets. One is the education that takes place at home with systemic racism and the education that takes place in the classroom. We know what society is going to teach us. I mean, it's it's society is going to teach us just simply walking down the street, a person of color walking down the street and seeing someone who is not a person of color, say white for the purpose of explanation, and they grab their purse pretty tight. Like that society says, oh, you're afraid of me because of what? 
it may not be the color of my skin, but it sure gives that impression or the way you're treated in a restaurant, right? So, so not just the education at home and the education in the classroom, but what society teaches. How can we change, Lindsay, at the basic levels to tackle this problem as a whole? You know, what can the schools do better? What can parents do better? And frankly, at the end of the day, how can we all be better? So there's a couple of things I want, Lindsay, I'm going to set the table and then I'm going to, I'm going to kick it over to you to share some of your thoughts and, and, and ideas. But, but there's four, four objectives that we want to have for today's podcast. One being, the first one being environmental struggles, right? People that are born black, brown, or biracial that grow up in the ghettos, non-suburban communities. That's a struggle because what you find in those environments is the school systems maybe not as strong as they are in the suburbs. There's not enough, you know, financial support. You may not get the top tiered teachers in those communities. You, you, you get a lot of folks that come from single parent households. So that's going to cause a bit of a, a struggle. You, you've got families in those lower economic areas whose, whose parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles didn't go on to say the next level of education. So that's going to be a struggle. So we need to understand that educational biases, right? Again, I talked about the inner city schools, the types of teachers that we're getting, but the generation, gener what we call generational destruction of those environments, meaning you, uh, kids are pulled away from education saying, hey, you're not going to be supported by, by those people. You're not going to get the same chances that other people get. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be ridiculed uh, you know, you're, you're not doing your homework because, well, there's other things I can be doing playing in the streets. But that's that's another reason why a lot of kids in the inner city look to play sports, because that's the only thing that they have to point to as a way to get out of those communities. Right. By playing football, basketball, whatever the case may be. And and again, we support that stereotype lens because we tell kids, oh, go shoot hoops, go run fast, go play sports. And then you can get an education versus saying, hey, let's give the support to those communities as we need to get your education. And by the way, if you happen to be athletic, you could be successful. How many times <laughs> have you heard that? Oh, I, my brother was one of those. <laughs> so it's not new, right? No, not at all. Um, you know, you, you also have what I call the financial inequality, which is, listen, in suburbia, education equals opportunity and it equals higher paying jobs. So if you if you took that same mindset in lower economic areas and said, "Hey, we're going to we're going to give them just as good of an education people of color, just as good of an education here than we do in the suburbs and give the same level of support, then we can start to work on changing that because now the mindset is as I go to school to learn, there is opportunity." And and a kid that comes home to see grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad, or mom, whatever the case may be, and says, listen, I'm learning in school. By me learning, I have an opportunity. And it's not just through sports. Again, we can start to change that thought process. Um, and again, that whole glass ceiling. Even as a woman, Lindsay, right? You've probably heard there is a glass ceiling. And, and it, come on, there should not be a glass ceiling. For, for anyone, I, I mean, if there's not a glass season for a, a glass ce uh, ceiling for a, a white male that's 45 years old, there should certainly not be a glass ceiling for a black male who's 53 or a Polynesian American woman who's 30. Absolutely. And so I think that that's another part of that, you know, that uh, financial inequality that takes place. And then what I call identity and awareness. Are, are we able to say, hey, there is a struggle. There is a I'm aware of it as an individual. And now I'm going to be part of being a change agent versus just supporting the fact that it is status quo. That that proverbial, as we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, do I want to get involved in something that I see happening that's not right? Or do I just want to back off and say, hey, you know what? It's not my problem. I'm just going to go ahead and let it exist, even though it's wrong. <laughs> I found myself in that avenue many times. <laughs> and, and so, so why? Like, so let me ask you if, if you, if you're walking down the street, Lindsay, and you see someone getting robbed or you see someone getting, getting hurt, are you, are you just going to go, huh, hey, not my problem, not my worry, or are you somebody that's going to step in and do something about it? 
So I'm definitely somebody that would step in and say something. Um, if it were a whole bunch of men, I would say naturally I might put my defenses up. Like, is this the smartest thing I could do? I'm probably going to pay for it, but I couldn't stand to bear to watch somebody get hurt right in front of me and me not do something about it. So, so if, if, if you're someone who's willing to step up and do that, to what degree are you willing to step up if you see racial inequality? If you see, right, are you willing to step up and do something about that? Absolutely. So for me growing up, I, I feel like I grew up, I mean, you and I both grew up in San Diego and my experience is very different from your experience. And my experiences, I felt like racism wasn't really a thing. I mean, there were a few jokes that people would say, and it was more about the Hispanic community than it was about the black, you know, African-American community. But for me, I just, I didn't, I wasn't really aware of it. And I'm sure my parents are super grateful for that, but I also feel like I was not prepared. So if you ask me right now, am I willing to take a stand if racism was right in front of me? Every part of my being would say absolutely because I don't see race. I see equality. I just see people. That wouldn't be the first thing that comes to mind, but there are things like, okay, this is a man. I'm a woman. He may be larger in stature. So whether it's racism or judgment of gender, I kind of mirror those things as also being the same. Do you, you so again, it, it, a person of color perspective is everywhere I go, everything I do, if it's scrutinized, it's scrutinized because of the color of my skin. You, you never had to deal with that, did you? Not really. Mm -mm. So in, in your world, you get up every day, you get yourself together, you get yourself ready to go and boom, you head out to the world. But, but it's always been that way for you. So imagine yourself like this, Lindsay. Imagine from the time that you were born, you start growing up, your parents, clearly, you, you know, you've got a darker complexion to your skin than other people. But, but the environment that you grew up in didn't stereotype you or didn't cast you in a different light, right? That. Yeah. I mean, from a, from a mere like racism perspective, absolutely not. The few like, oh, hey, you're Polynesian. You must know all the Polynesians <laughs> um, or, or just the separation of, oh, you're Polynesian. It was like clearly identified that I was Polynesian, not white, but I have never in my life experienced anything remotely close what blacks have had to deal with. And so, so think about that experience that you've had when you had your own daughter, you, the, as you start to share stories with her and raise her, you're going off of personal experiences and you're sharing the same things with her that were shared with you. But all of a sudden now, because of what's transpired in this country in the last several months, your daughter probably has a different set of questions for you <laughs> that maybe you didn't have for your parents because this uprising wasn't taking place. A hundred percent. I mean, you know, last year my daughter was talking to me. She always shares with me after school, the things that she's learning and we were driving to dance and she brought up that she had been learning about Martin Luther King, but she called him Dr. King. She says, mom, I learned about Dr. King today. And she I, I was like, oh, actually, I'm really curious to hear what you learned. Um, and so she said, yeah, well, I learned that Dr. King was a really awesome man. And there was a lot of people that hated him. And she said, there's a whole bunch of white people that made the black people drink really yucky water. And they were really mean to them. And they made them sit in the back of the bus. And she said it eventually it got to a point where the white people didn't like Dr. King and they killed him. She says they shot him and then he turned into a statue. And, you know, for me, I'm kind of giggling, like hearing what a five-year-old is, like how she's processing this information and she's sharing with me all this new stuff that she's learning. And then she looks at me and she says, raise your hand if you're black. 
And she says, mommy, raise your hand. And I was like, interesting. And, and then, you know, so I raised my hand and then she says, raise your hand if you're white. And she raises her hand and she says, mommy, um, how long have you been black? Have you been that way your whole life or, or were you my color at my age? And I was really taken back by this question because for me, I am darker. I, I have more mocha skin and she's very pale, blonde hair, blue eyes. And so for her, she saw a difference in skin tone. And this is the first time that she's ever, it's ever been brought to my attention that she now recognizes difference in color. And I honestly was taken back. Like I didn't know how to respond to that question. I was completely caught off guard. Right. And so think about how many kids um, go home from school and ask their parents the same question. And parents will typically just kind of brush it off. Like it's not that big of an issue. Um, Yeah. You didn't brush it off, but you you certainly didn't have an answer. I didn't have an answer. It's like, okay, do I go into genetics? Do I go into like how, you know, my mom is Caucasian and my dad is Polynesian? And do I attempt to explain how all of this works? Do, is that going to take me down the birds and bees avenue? Like, I just felt totally unprepared for what just came in front of me. So, so check this out. Here's what's crazy. From the time that I was old enough to understand the difference between black and white, Again, white mom, black dad, two years old, I knew the difference between black and white. Early on, I knew the difference between good cop, bad cop, early on. See, now, was that just like your parents' perspective? Because for my parents, I mean, and I think my dad maybe didn't want me to be raised in my culture necessarily. And so it was very like dominant white. And so I, I, yeah, I just wasn't raised like color or that black and white. It was just, everybody's the same. Well, well, again, yes. When you're raised in the black community, it's, it's different because society has treated people of color different for so long. The education comes from birth conversations that we have to have as, as people of color are much different. As I stated, you, you know, discussion about crime, discussion about gangs, discussion about drugs, discussion about the police department, um, treating people fair or unfair. Um, the discussion about education and opportunity. Now I came from a family of, of educators. So we were going to school. I mean, that, there was no question about it. We, we, we didn't miss school. You know, I, I heard kids talk about skipping school. I never skipped school unless, if, unless I was sick. I was in school. Um, it was mandatory. But, but again, when we're talking about the, the demographics of where you grow up, you better have good, strong family values supporting you. If not, you, you can end up in drugs and you can end up in gangs. You can end up in violence. But we didn't have an option. But the point of that, that this discussion here is we had to have discussions about those things. Those are discussions that most people aren't willing to have. As an example, I, I bet there's probably a large percentage of people, non-people of color that are probably afraid to get those kind of questions coming from their kids. Or maybe they're not afraid to get the question, but they certainly aren't prepared for that question. I would say it's also a difference because some of the questions may be the same or or the guidance is. So when you talk about parents teaching their children about police or about drugs or about school and education and all those things, I believe that all families across the world are teaching their children But what I'm getting from you is that there's specific details that blacks are sharing in their communities that other like the depth. Right. So, for example, when I teach my daughter about police officers, I talk to her and I say, "Okay, if a police officer comes to your window, keep your hands on the steering wheel and answer his questions. 
where your experience might be extremely different in sharing with your children or for you personally, what your parents shared with you, what happens when a police officer comes to your window? Yeah. You know, I, very similar discussion, but it was more along the lines of what could happen if you don't do that. In other words, if you get pulled over by the police, you put your hands on the steering wheel. Okay. But everything you do from the time they reach your window could be life or death. That's the difference right There's, there. Right? That's the difference. In other words, if you don't have your hands on the steering wheel, then there's a chance you could be shot. Now, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, that was a discussion. The discussion was, Mr. Officer, I'm reaching for my wallet. Well, where's your wallet? It's in my back pocket. Like, I mean, it, it, down to the granular details. And I think as we, as we move through this discussion, it is, the question is, is are people colorblind? Are, in, in other words, people that are not, a, someone who's not a person of color, are they colorblind? Are they willing to sit back and say, yeah, I'm not really quite sure those things happen. I mean, the definition of systemic racism is systems and structures embedded in our society, government and community that have procedures and processes that inherently disadvantage people of color. So if you put police officers in a community where there's people of color and you tell them to enforce the rules and regulations in that community harsher than you would do in an all white community, then that's systemic racism. If you are, if you are not holding everyone to the same standards, if you're not giving the same level of education in the school system, if you're not giving the same amount of financial support, if you're not building the same types of buildings, then you, what you're essentially doing is you're, you're disadvantaging people from being able to grow out of the culture in which they grew up in. And, and, and some people would say, and I've heard this, Lindsay, people say, well, Dorian, you know, you made it out. Right. They tell my brother, who happens to be a school superintendent, has his Ph.D. You made it out. Shouldn't everybody feel as if they have the opportunity to make it out? If someone is in a suburban white community and they get a chance to go to college and make the, you know, have a successful life. Did they make it out? Are their friends going to say, hey, buddy, you did a great job. You made it out. I, I do want to point out, because you said something really interesting, that police that are put into communities, we'll just say it's an all-Black community somewhere on the East Coast. I think there's been a lot of trouble in Detroit. So I'll just use Detroit as an example. So the, p- these police go to Detroit. The behavior there has been far different than Alpine, Utah. Would you say so? I would agree. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm giving like contrast, right? So Alpine, Utah, uh, wealthy people buttoned up. I'm not going to say it's an all white community, but I'd say a little bit of diversity, but not as much as Detroit. So when you talk about the difference in police work that happens in Detroit versus in Alpine, Utah, would you say that it's heavily based on race or would you say it's the demographics? Uh, well, again, I would say demographics first because the, those people live in that area. So the police presence is going to be heavier um, because there's probably going to be more crime. I get that. Like the neighborhood I grew up in, Southeast San Diego. Yeah, there were gangs, drugs, violence. There's probably going to be more police presence in those communities. But we're talking about why is there more gangs? Why is there more violence? Why is there more drugs? It's it's going back to what we started this conversation about, which is it's all about the education. Give money to the education system in these lower economic areas. Put teachers in those environments that want to teach and make a difference, people who aren't going to be colorblind, people who understand, Lindsay, that there is a school-to-prison pipeline system out there. There is, in other words, you start looking around at the public schools in this country, there's, I don't know, there's like 
80 some odd thousand public schools in the country. And you start looking at the amount of of uh, resource officers and police officers that they put in the public school systems. And you look at the demographics of those areas, you're going to find that the majority of them, the schools are heavily populated with black kids, brown kids, um, more so than white kids. And this was, this was before all the police, this is before all the shootings were taking place in, in the school systems. There, there were no school shootings in, in, in the black communities, there was gangs, there was drugs, there was crime. There was no shootings like we've seen in, say, the last, you know, 15, 20 years in, in the suburban schools for the most part. That, that didn't take place. But you had a whole lot of resource officers there that, you know, and then you found that these kids who were showing up at school, again, who came from uh, disadvantaged families, they were skipping school. So guess what? They skip school. They get in trouble with the resource officer. They end up in juvenile yeah. hall. Right. They, they all those things that we talk about that that's real stuff that we have to be aware of because the education system, both at home and in school, letting these kids down. But I want to shed some light because I don't think it's just about the school system, because I do believe that there are many teachers who specifically move to those types of areas because they really feel like they can be a change agent. I, I personally, my viewpoint on this comes from paradigms. Like, where are these kids being raised? Who are they surrounded by? I've heard many times that we're, we become like the, what is it? Like the five people that we're surrounded by the most. So it's like these young kids, when they come to earth, they have no knowledge of anything. And whoever is raising them is literally imprinting in their brain, teaching them these things, they're observing their environment and they're learning. And so when you talk about family core values and all these things, the school can only do what the school can do. I feel like it also goes back to the family, the, the, the core of where these people come from and are they being fed this 200 year old or I'll, I'll even say in the last 50 years, so much has changed in the last 50 years, but are these children being fed this same information so they take that and go to school? I kind of see it both ways, but I, I truly feel like school systems can only do so much for these children. And at some point, how can people step in and say, okay, what you were raised with, the things that you saw and experienced didn't support you in school and it's not going to support you down this path. I'm going to hijack this and, and reroute you to, to experience something new. Well, I, that's, that's a great question. And I think if I go back in my experience of going to an all black school, um, kindergarten through sixth grade, and then going to an all white school, seven through nine and 10 through 12, I, I got a chance to see education through, what I call black eyes and white eyes. Like my viewpoint of the educational system was a little bit, it was, it was vast because I got a chance to see kids who got lost in the system. As I mentioned before, at the school to prison pipeline, kids who would get in trouble, you know, for all the various reasons we could talk about for days, kids who just dropped out because they said, Hey, you know what? It's better to go in this direction versus that direction. And, and then I got a chance to see those kids who jumped on that school bus every morning and got bust out to, I mean, I, I think about it all the time. Thank goodness for Brown versus Board of Education, right? Because one, my parents would have never met. Again, my mom went to an all-black school. So if there was no integration, my mom wouldn't have had a chance to go to that school. So I'm glad because I'm a product of that. Absolutely. Number, number, number two, I got a chance to myself jump on a bus and go and, and get bust out to through integration to an all-white school. And I got a chance to see what it was like if you went to school and got an education and you didn't see life in just through one set of eyes. I, I didn't look into, hey, my community is all black. You know, I'm, I'm half black. I'm going to see life through one set of lenses. I'm going to look at them through a different set of lenses. I'm going to see how other people live, how other people respond. Now, did I always like what I saw? I didn't like what I saw on both sides of the fence. I, I had struggles with both sides of the fence. And, and, and I also didn't like the way it was, it was pushed out there. But I also 
would say, Lindsay, that one of the biggest things we can do is we can get people to see things through just a different set of lens than what they're normally typically looking through. In other words, don't always look and say, hey, somebody is somebody is white or somebody is black. Let's just take somebody as a human being and give them the same level of education that you would get if you were teaching someone who was black or teaching someone who was white. You're right. The school systems can do a better job of saying, hey, here's the history of our country, but here's where we're at today. We don't have to lean back on the history of this country and say, well, we did it like this 60, 70, 80 years ago. We should do it like this today. <laughs> Heard that. I feel like colleges are irrelevant right now just because I feel like they're still teaching on education from 50, 60 years ago and not really adapting. And I feel like history is kind of that same way where there are generations and generations of African-Americans that are so fixated on history and taking a stand for all that their their ancestors went through. And I feel like some people are not present and, and seeing where the country is as a whole today, right now. Exactly. So, so, you know, as I, as I think about the, what we can start to do to education, to educate young people, right. Is there's, is a couple different components, two major components of really helping young kids socialize through ethnic diversity and helping people see a positive view no matter what group of people they're part of. The, the struggle and challenges to get people to do that is because we, we just haven't educated p- parents enough to understand that concept, right? The parents don't Absolutely. understand. They don't understand that, hey, it's okay to say that racism exists. If you're a, if you're a white parent, you should say to your, your white children, racism does exist and it's wrong. Now, again, if you say racism exists and you believe in racism, well, you got a whole nother set of issues and hopefully <laughs> those people aren't even listening to our podcast. But right. the point is, is I, I think that, that white parents can be a change agent for their children like black parents are for their children who teach racism at an early age. So, te- so kind of like tell me about teaching about racism because- I talked to one of my neighbors. He's as white as they come, born and raised in Utah. And uh, he even made a comment that said, I'm not racist. I go out of my way to uh, empower the woman that works in the workforce and praise the black man that gets promotions. And I said, well, isn't that racism in itself? And he's like, oh, well, I never thought about that. So when you talk about- When you talk about parents that um, really educate their children about racism, what is something that people, parents can do right now to teach their children about that? Are you talking about the history? Are you talking about now and moving forward? Or or what specifically are you talking about? Well, I, I think, again, when you talk about parents educating children because listen if if someone's 30 40 50 60 years old there are certain things that are ingrained in them and there can be change listen we all know that that in order to change you must first be uncomfortable so that's why we're having these uncomfortable conversations and hopefully someone walks away and says you know what i i probably haven't done things the way i i should or i could and i need to change but first and foremost is you have to be you have to be aware and notice the comments and statements that people make. So as a white person, I have to be aware that if somebody makes a statement like that, which is, hey, I'm not racist. I go out of my way to make this person of color feel comfortable. Well, if you shouldn't have to go out of your way to make anybody feel comfortable. You should just make all people feel comfortable. So that statement alone is I'm aware that racism exists. I'm aware that someone of color may think something different about me because I'm white. So therefore, I'm going to do something completely different to show that I'm not. Well, I also that, feel that's, like that's, that's, that's that's disingenuous. It's it's not real. It's 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 phony to me if you have to make that statement versus just I'm going to be aware and treat all people the same. 
I do agree with that. But I do have to say it's all about perspective as well. Because if I cut in and I am talking to someone and I'm, I let's just say I'm, I'm praising this man, this black man, that he's got promoted and this is so awesome. He can interpret that as, oh, well, she's only saying that to me because I'm black. I feel like there's also that side of perspective that can that can, it can be perceived that way, but I, as a person may not even be viewing it that way. True. And, and again, a, a lot of it is perspective, but it, again, when you are a person of color, you are taught from an early age to look out for things and try to determine if it's real or not. If the way people are treating you in a restaurant, is it real or not? Those are conversations that we have with our children that white people don't have with their children. Um, how do you know when you go to a restaurant, if someone doesn't, doesn't bring you food on time, are they doing that because of the color of your skin? Or are they doing it because they just aren't bringing your food on time? Or if you get a bill and they want you to pay uh, the tip, um, automatically. And there's only two or three people in the party versus another table full of white people. And there's no tip included on that. I mean, it, we, we recently heard a story about that somewhere in the country where that happened. So again, what, what we want to do is we want to make sure that in order for generational change, we want to start to, to educate people on what's important. And what's important is you got to look at things through all lenses and understand that someone else may not be treated exactly like you. And it is a direct reflection of the color of their skin, period. Just because it happened like that 80 years ago or 50 years ago or whatever, doesn't mean it has to happen like that today. Second, there's a reason that schools were integrated. There's a reason for it, right? There's a reason that people like me got on a bus at six o'clock in the morning and took a 45 minute bus ride to go get a quote unquote better education and to see things differently. There's a reason that young people come home from school and ask their parents, hey, mom and dad, what is racism? You know, why were black people treated this way in the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. What was mom, dad? What was slavery? And have people educated enough to have that uncomfortable conversation? You know what's interesting? I don't know why this is coming up, but um, my buddy wrote this book called The Power of Starting Something Stupid. And I remember him posting a quote that said, that we're all making it up, <laughs> that we are all faking it and just doing our best. And as you were talking and you asked that question, why were they treated this way? Why, why, why? I'm sure back then the government had their reasons for why they did what they did. And I feel like there isn't enough light shed on all the beautiful things that we as a country, not our government, but we as a country, the people in the country have done to singe what was done in the past. And, and I see why this can be such a controversial topic because it's all based on perspective. Does that make sense? It, 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 it does. However, when, when there is real life action that takes place, it moves away from perspective and it, it's more, it's like, this is reality. You know, it's interesting. I wake up every day and go outside. My skin color is brown. I can't change that. There's nothing I can do. A person of color cannot change the color of their skin. They get up every day, they go outside and in the back of their mind, they're like, what's going to happen today? What kind of decision is someone going to make about me today because of the color of my skin? So, okay, as- I'm going to pause you really quick um, because what comes is, is accountability for me. If I say I'm an accountable being 
every single day I make choices. And with those choices lead me to results that either work for me or don't work for me. And so if I put myself as a black man driving down a car or driving in a car and I get pulled over, if I know from history that cops are trained, literally trained to be on defense, that whatever situation they're approaching is life or death to them. Just like the Blacks perspective is this could be a life or death situation for me, so I have to act according. I feel like cops are approaching in that same manner. And I don't know why this is just, I'm having this aha moment. <laughs> like, oh, uh, bla- like Blacks and cops actually have that same mindset that I don't know this person, I know the history of this person, and it can go either one way or another. And so if the whole world were to live in an accountable space, being conscious or aware of of the choices that they're making that could potentially lead to these devastating outcomes, it can prevent, in some cases, in some cases it cannot, devastating things from happening. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's one way to look at it, um, that anytime you have two parties that meet with a, an understanding of history, um, that's what can come from it. Um, yeah. right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty clear that co- that can come from it. However, if you think about again, our, our, what we're trying to accomplish today, what we want people to walk away listening to today is okay. We, we know this takes place, but how can we fix it? How can we change it? I think that's what's most important uh, is one, and I'll say this over and over again, educate, 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 educate that, that there are struggles that people of color have to go through that you, if you were white, don't have to go through. Or if you've done, if you had to go through it, it was, it was definitely not the magnitude that a person of color has had to go through we can no longer accept the status quo. We can't accept people of color being treated differently just simply because of the color of their skin. If you want to treat someone differently, treat someone differently because of the way they treated you. But that's it. That's where it has to stop. Um, it, and it takes, you know, I've heard the statement, well, you know, um, if, you know, you talk about the, 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 the protest that takes place, you talk about the level of awareness that black people are trying to make statements or making statements, not trying, but making statements worldwide about um, inequality and the level of treatment that they say, hey, has to stop. But frankly, I look around and I say, start with the white people. Start teaching people who are white how to understand that they can stand up against racism, that they can be a voice of reason to what is right and what is wrong. Right? Black people would love yeah. nothing more than to wake up and just go outside and go, hey, all right, I'm just another human being. You know, I, I thought that living in the neighborhood I live in until I walked walking down the street one day and, and one of my neighbors asked me if I was new in the neighborhood. I, mind you, I've been here 15 years. They said, hey, are you new? And I said, no. And he says, oh, oh, you must be the new neighbor down the street. I'm like, nah. And then I realized that there was a new black family moved in down the street. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so you think I'm the new black guy that just moved in down the street? <laughs> like, like, listen, my, my point is, is that white people don't have to deal with those types of questions and those types of stereotypes. So, so if it's me, I- that that guy should be educated. And that guy... That guy should be the one to educate people as to what not to say and what not to do just because you're talking to somebody of color. I feel like it's kind of a double-edged sword, though, because it's like if they stand up and say something, then they're bringing awareness to racism. And if they don't say anything, then they're being racist. So in your experience, Doreen, because you have been around racism and and you were taught by wonderful parents um, who really educated you what can people do in the world to find that balance in either 
saying something and feeling racist or not saying anything and still feeling racist. Well, I, I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can not, I think it's more of an issue for you to not say something. You, you have to say something. If you hear someone say something that is absolutely inappropriate, not even absolutely inappropriate, just inappropriate, you should say something. There, I, I, there's just certain ways you approach people, certain things you say and certain things you don't say. And being aware that if you say something that offends someone because of the color of their skin, that, it, that it's, it's the smart thing to do is to apologize and to not try to make up some, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. By the way, I'm not racist or the proverbial, <laughs> I'm not racist. I have, I have black friends like that, that, that kind of stuff. You, you, is, is, I do want to bring accountability to people in the world, though. I I want to I want to raise the level of awareness of accountability and say, if somebody is feeling out of alignment with how they're being treated, and this goes for all people, both black and white and biracial, to say, hey, you know what, Dorian? Uh, during our conversation, you said something that that really didn't resonate well with me, and I want to talk to you about it, and. For somebody that's racist, they may continue down that path and just egg it, egg it, egg it. But I feel like if everybody actually claimed their voice and said, you know what, and not just other people taking a stand, but them taking a stand within themselves, I feel like that could be something so empowering that then sometimes if someone else is afraid because they see that person taking a stand, they may also be committed to take a stand. Yeah, I, I think I think young people of today can put a lot of pressure on society to start to make those changes. Their children are impressionable, and and that's why I go back to what takes place at home inside a inside a home um, is is these kids are being taught there to like or dislike other people because of the color of their skin, and then they go to school. And it's supported um, through friendships, relationships, through the education system that they may be uh, attending. Think about this: when you when you when you have a school that's integrated, people are able to go home and say, "Hey, they're nothing like they're they're." And I say, "They're nothing." Wh whomever they're talking about, they're nothing like what you said. They're nothing like what's been reported. There's nothing like what you know, Grandpa or Uncle said. They're they're we're all the same. Um, and, and I think that's where you go. Accountability starts with education, lack of education. You have no accountability. Totally. So, so again, if you start in small bite-sized pieces and say it, it takes, let's educate all people, especially white people to take a stand against it. Let's have white people not be colorblind and not ignore questions that their kids may come home and ask. Let's make sure white people have those uncomfortable conversations, the conversations that people of color have been having from the time their kids are born. Let's keep the consistent education level streaming through um, lower economic um, education systems as well as the suburban schools, right? Let's get involved in having discussions with school boards, talking about racial injustice, if we could talk about everything else. Why not talk about racial injustice? Keep it at the forefront of everybody's uh, minds and make sure there's there's change happening there. Attend campus functions. Talk about career opportunities. Listen, when I was in grade school, I would have loved for someone to come on campus and talk about why you I would want to be a police officer, maybe in law enforcement, versus let's let's stay away from the police, right? I mean, <laughs> we. we all right. We're having these conversations about why the police is bad. Maybe somebody should have said, hey, here's why police officers are, are good. And and then again, if you're able to get out of communities, then go back to those communities and share your stories about how people because, listen, there are people in black communities that. They look at white people differently and there's white people in you know, that look at black yeah. people differently. Why, why, why don't we come across the aisle? Why don't we send people into these communities and talk about things that they've done in their life to get themselves in a position to be better and contribute, contribute positively to society. And you start to do those kinds of things, not just put it on TV, 
not just put it on social media, but actually take action and go and make a difference in those communities. That's how you start to make some changes. Absolutely. Uh, just going off of all of that you just said, I just want to say to our followers that um, it's really important. And I really contribute this to to a, a GPS map that if we don't know where we are, uh, we can't plan for where we're going if we don't know where we are. And part of knowing where we are is understanding where we have come from. And so I really love that you've just pounded into all of our listeners' heads, Dorian, about educate, educate, educate. I'm definitely one of those parents that deserves to educate myself so that I can better educate my daughter so that moving forward, she really truly can be a change agent within herself in the community and throughout the world. So thank you for that. So Lindsay, what a great session that was. Thank you so much for your feedback, your candor. Um, I know there's a lot of material we covered today. Before I drop the the, the couple of questions I want to leave the audience with, um, uh, can you give everyone a tease on what the next podcast is going to be about? Absolutely. Dorian, I'm so excited for, for our next podcast. Uh, we'll be discussing learning and observing behavior. Adults set the example. Oh, that's going to be <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope they're ready for that one because uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot we're going to uncover in that call like we did this one. Well, as, as we will always do, um, we'll give you some final thoughts and some questions for you to kick around. Final thoughts is systemic racism is real. No one's making this stuff up. As a country, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where it's all gone. But I tell you what, taking small little bite-sized pieces of this thing and getting rid of it everywhere we can. Um, I think we, I think we can all get it done. Here's a couple questions for you to end today's call. Based on what you have learned, can you verbally acknowledge that systemic racism exists, just like I did? And the answer to me for me is yes. And the second question is, are you willing to stand up for what is right and help fight against those that drive systemic racism in our culture? Are you willing to be an advocate for change or are you just going to bury your head in the sand and just continue to let it happen? I got a feeling that the majority of people who will be listening to these calls will stand up and do everything they can to help make a change. On behalf of Lindsay and myself, thank you for joining. This is Life is a Game of Inches. Until next time, make it a great day.